Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast. This episode is Helpline with Mothercraft nurse extraordinaire, Chris Minogue. If she can't help you, nobody can. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Hello and welcome to Helpline on Feed, Play, Love with Mothercraft nurse Chris Minogue. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Uh, Chris has over 30 years experience helping families with their new babies and children. Have you not, I'm yet to hear a question that she can't answer. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. So now's your opportunity to ask Chris your questions. There are a number of ways you can do this. If you're watching us live via um, Facebook Live, you can pop your questions below the video. If you're listening to us via podcast, the best bet is to email helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. And if you're keen to join us live next time, we're uh, every Friday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Daylight no, Eastern Daylight Savings Time. <laughs> I'll get it right in time for the switchback. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can also, if you're joining us line, live, you can also call us on 1-800-543-772. Let's start with Ju. Her, um, it's a sleep-related question for her four-month-old. Sure. This is my second child, and with my first tri- child, I tried to follow a very strict routine that had me tied up in knots with stress, so I'm reluctant to go down that path again. I am instead trying to follow my baby's cues for sleep, but sometimes I miss the signs or I'm busy with my five-year-old and therefore miss the ideal window of putting baby down at a time when he will self-settle. Therefore, I frequently feed the baby to sleep. This does not seem to impact his ability to move through sleep cycles as he usually sleeps big blocks of two to three hours uh, from nine-ish and seven to eight hours straight from around 7 p.m. He will rarely sleep more than one sleep cycle in the afternoon. My question is this. Am I setting baby up for difficulty in self-settling if I do not encourage this by the six-month mark? I'll be traveling overseas with the family, there's four of us, when baby is seven months, and we'll be in what's called a family room, which is just one large hotel room, no separate rooms, and there's a TV. My baby relies on darkness and quiet to sleep, so how will we manage this in a hotel room? Are there any products or tools I can use to create a similar sleeping environment when we are all in the same room where lights may be on and there may be noise? So let's go back to the first First part, and then we'll answer the second part. Part. Yeah, so yep. the first one is, does she have to change this, this before they hit the six-month mark? So generally speaking, we would be trying not to feed him to sleep unless that, that it feels right for your family and that you're prepared to do it in the long term. So whether it's right or wrong, whether you should stop it by six months isn't really the issue. The issue is, is it working for you and are you happy to do it long term? And if your answer to that is yes, then he is doing perfectly well. You're not following that strict routine. You've got a little bit more freedom and you're trying to work it out between the two of you. And often I suggest to people in this one to use a rhythm. So be aware that if he's about four months old, he'll be tied somewhere around an hour and a half maybe an hour and three quarters. So it's thinking about him within getting caught up with what a five-year-old might need or dinner being put on, but it's not strict to the time that you might get in a completely timed routine. So it's just being aware of what he's doing. 
If you're concerned that your feeding is going to lead to a pattern that you might find very difficult as time goes on, and especially with travelling, then I think you might want to start to think about changing that around and feeding him, taking him off the breast so he's awake, giving him a cuddle and then putting him down and just starting to put in a bit of a break between the feeding to sleep and the act of going to bed. And that will start the process of him understanding how to be put down, even if he's sleepy and relaxed and you put him down. But the actual feed to sleep in the long term can create a very difficult problem at night where they wake more frequently but can put themselves back to sleep, but he's going to need to rely on a breastfeed to go back to sleep. So I think in that answer alone, there's a lot to think about. But what you're doing, because you, you know, he seems to sleep for two to three hours, it seems like a couple of times in the day, and then he has a little nap in the afternoon, is pretty good for his age group. Mm. So he's doing well in that fact. I think you need to Now's the time to think about what would work for you as a family going forward. Okay. Um, now let's deal with the other questions about yes. travelling and staying in the... Um, um, family room? Yes. Small disaster. Oh, dear. That's not what you want to hear, is it? <laughs> I know. And the reason for this is he's a small baby and then you've got a five-year-old. So they're in two completely different places. And you're going to be saying to that five-year-old, so let's say he's, what was he, seven months when he um, goes overseas. So at seven months, you would think I could sacrifice one of, he would be on two sleeps in the day and then down at night. You could sacrifice one of those sleeps in the day on a pram or a sling, but one of those would need to be back at the hotel and back in his bed again. So the problem, whether it's one person in the room or three people in the room, is that In order for him to go to sleep, as you said, he needs this quiet, dimly lit room and a certain amount of darkness, which can't be replicated unless everyone was sitting on the bed and not making a single sound. So that's where it's difficult. It's not a miracle cocoon you can buy that ventilates. It's the noise. Remember a seven month old? Mm. One bit of noise and bang, those eyes are open and they're popping up. Yeah. One way of looking at it, the day is actually the easiest one to get around. If you're taking a small porticot with you, they often fit in the bathroom. So maybe the day one he could go in the bathroom. He might echo a little as he's going to sleep, but he'll be all right. And as long as no one needs to go to the bathroom, we'll be good for an hour or two. The problem comes with the nights because you've got a five-year-old who might be staying up to eight, that you're on holidays, and you've got a little baby that's still wanting to go to sleep at seven. And this is a common thing. This isn't just generic to the to this lady going overseas. This is common. People just order a hotel room with a child, and then they don't realise at seven o'clock they're all sitting there completely sound asleep. Mm. The room will go dark because hotel rooms are great for going dark but there is no noise at all. And at seven months, even if you put like a little light blanket over the top to sort of dim the area, I think at seven months, just a sneeze from a five-year-old and the whole thing would be open. What about, um, is it is it worth having any kind of um, noise thing, you know, like a white noise machine or yeah, something so you could put in there? You could cot? do the night, well, put it under the oh, cot, under the cot yeah. yeah, putting that under there. But it's, you know, then you're saying to a five-year-old, imagine saying to Darcy, don't make a sound. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. At seven o'clock and she's not due to bed till, or someone goes out and then comes in the door. It's, that's where it's difficult. So with a bit of pre, because you're not going for another three months, what I would try and do is maybe move the accommodation to a one bedroom. 
So there was a bedroom that we could put a baby in and there might be a little sitting area or seated area and you're in that area and it's less impact on all the work that you've been doing to get him to sleep well. But I think if you've got time to change it and think about it, you're going to do better than going, realising when you turn up that there's no way he'll go to sleep with any movement around. Yeah, and you've already started that thought process. Yeah, so you've got time to be able to do that. Um, and sorry if I pronounce your name wrong, which I'm fairly sure I have. Um, but good luck with that. And please feel free to get back in touch if you have more questions. Yeah, we or do, more hints about travelling. Yeah, we do have a few questions on the phone. So we have first um, Kate, I believe. Is that Kate? Hi there, ladies. Hi, Kate. Hi. Do you want to tell us what's happening and what your question is? Yeah, I've got I've got um, two children and both questions are in relation to toilet training. Yep. Um, so the first, my eldest, um, girl is four and a half and she was toilet trained, um, for the day, um, really, really easily when she was around two and a half and we've had no issues, um, with the toileting throughout the day. But unfortunately the night, um, time toilet training has never, has never really happened. So I remember Chris, um, because we've worked with you in the past, um, you said to me, with the night nappies, if yeah. she goes a month um, without. without weighing in her night nappy, yep. then she's ready to go without for yeah. good. And unfortunately, we You've haven't even made it past a week. Yeah, okay. Like a week. So and Kate, she's four and a half now, and I'm just going, what, what's going on? Why, so the, why can't she get through the night? So for some kids, it does take them a very long time to get through the night and okay. more weirdly, typically with boys, but, you know, could Mm -hmm. certainly happen to girls. That's one thing to think of. The second thing to think of is setting her up for going through the night. So Mm -hmm. there's two ways of looking at this. How much fluid does she take through the day and what's she drinking Mm -hmm. from? So Mm -hmm. at four and a half, I wouldn't have any drink bottles in the house. Like if you're in the park, I'd take a drink Mm -hmm. bottle, but I wouldn't Mm -hmm. do it in the house because they tend to drink and drink and drink and overstretch. And then Mm -hmm. they're relaxed in their bed at night. They just let it all out, so to speak. Um, So I'd be looking at cups at home and they're both, you know, they're three and nearly five, so they should be easily be able to do cups at home. So I'd reduce not the frequency, she can have it whenever Uh she likes, but the the way she's taking it in volume, okay? Uh So that's one thing I'd look at. I'd look at how often does she go to the toilet during the day is she busy playing and she's not going? So therefore at night she's more relaxed mm-hmm. and, you know, the, mm-hmm. she just can't hold. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'd set her up and remind her. So maybe doing a wee before she has a bath, then doing a wee before she goes to bed. Mm-hmm. And then have you ever got to the point where you've just decided to take the nappy off her? I did for a while. She had the brolly sheets. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yep. But she was just she was just waking a couple of times in the night, um, wetting them. Okay, so, so she didn't have the inclination yeah. for maybe getting up or calling out to you. No, no. Okay. And, I, and I, you know, I put on. I mean, they're lucky they've got a bathroom like a little ensuite. Yeah. Straight off her room, I leave yep. the light on every night, and I say you can either wake mummy up if you want mummy to come, or yep. you can just get up because the light's on and the toilet's right there. Okay. So you know, and I'm I'm sort of cutting water off. Yeah. After dinner. Yeah, and she's on the toilet just before bed, but she's okay. just not waking up to go. Yeah, or she's just not mature enough. To, she hasn't matured mm. enough to get there. So, mm. um, have you tried? Um, does she wear a pull up to bed at night or a nappy? Yeah, a pull up. Yeah. Okay. So she wears a pull up. 
try for three or four nights to get her up before you go to bed to do one more wee to see if it lightens the mm-hmm. nappy. Is the nappy saturated? Okay. Yes, yeah, pretty full in the morning, yeah. And the other one is when you do that toilet in at 10 o'clock, my, remember it's like dragging a log to the toilet because mm-hmm. it's sound mm-hmm. asleep. Um, yeah. See how wet the nappy is. So if it's okay. not wet, she might actually be dry for a lot of the night, but she's doing a big wee in the morning in the before morning. she's actually yeah. getting up. So, yeah. you know, I think assessing where that wetness is, if she's pretty wet at 10 o'clock, she's probably just not mature enough to go through the night and you might have to try it again in six months' time and another six months and uh-huh. another six months. But uh-huh. if she's actually dry, does a wee, yeah. and then she's quite dry in the morning, you know, it's not as yeah. heavy, then it's yeah. probably more about her going to the toilet and waking up to go to the toilet than it is about anything. And maybe just uh-huh. you taking her to the toilet might help this process go along. Okay. And so then I just, I just, that would be like a part of the routine. Yeah. Just yeah. Whoever's going to bed, bed last yeah. takes yeah. the child to the toilet and just see if it yeah, lightens okay. it. And then she's going to feel better because it's not as wet and it's that yeah. whole psychological part of it. Is, as well. Okay. Okay. And you have a question right, about cool. your little yeah. one, your youngest? Yeah, the yeah, little one is two years, nine months. Yeah. He's a bit of a, it's a completely different challenge. So <laughs> uh, ever since he was two, yeah. um, has had a mental fear of pooing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And I know that's quite common. Yeah. He had a, he's healthy appetite, very healthy food. So I know it's not digestion yeah, yeah. and I know, yeah. you know, that's not it. He just is scared of pooing. So, he, he holds it in. He goes every two to three days. Today it's day four and I still can't get him to do it. You can't um, get him to go to the toilet or you can't get him to do it either? I, I can't get him to push it out. He holds it. He okay. he, he, he keeps his legs together. He, he, oh, he really he's does. Obviously in a, he's, he's completely distressed. He's okay. sweating. He's crying. Oh. The whole thing oh. is every two or three days is just a bit of a nightmare. It's a stressful situation for both of us and okay. it's been going on for a little while. So long. He's, he's been on Osmolax for over oh, yeah. six months, but I haven't seen a change, mm-hmm. um, quite honestly. Even without it, because I've stopped it recently, yeah. it, it, it's not changing the consistency. His poos, when they do come out, are soft, so I know he's not constipated. It's more emotional. It Completely. Okay. And... He's happy to do wheeze on the toilet, but I'm like, how how do I get, get him to, to do toilet the... training him when he when he won't when do he won't even do it in his nappy? Do you know what actually? I would do, Kate? Because it yeah. sounds like it's not constipation, which is a typical one. It just sounds like uh-huh. holding, which is also a typical yeah. one. So what uh-huh. I would do is I would actually um, just say to him for about a week or two, when you want to uh-huh. do a poo. Um, yeah. lovely subject, but if you want to do a poo, uh-huh. you ask mummy and I'll give you a pull-up to do it because we're going to take him back to safety to do it because yeah. he's fighting yeah. and he has been fighting for a little while. So I just put yeah. like a few little pull-ups and I'll say say to him, look, whenever you feel like you're doing it, I'll pop this on and then you can go. And what we want him to do is relax about doing the poo, not where he's doing the poo. Okay. Yes. So get uh-huh. the get the system going. If we get but the... he's never done one. He's never done one on the toilet. No, no. So we he, want, he we're going back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All so, right, but yeah. we're taking. We're not going to mention the toilet. We're not going to mention going to the toilet. Okay. We're just okay. taking all the pressure off him. You just say to him, okay. whenever you want to do a poo, you tell mummy, and I will give you that. Then I would give him a week, ten days, till there's no pressure around it, and then I'd set uh-huh. a completely different challenge. Or I'm uh-huh. not going to mention the, poo, the word poo, but twice a day, uh-huh. you take him to the toilet, 
you make sure you've got a stool so he's sitting in the right position. You know how you, mm-hmm. you look at them and they've got mm-hmm. to have their knees in yep. the right position. And twice yep. a day for five minutes, you're going to sit beside him and just read a book. But okay. he needs to be sitting in an upright position. Mm. Mm-hmm. And if you can get him in an upright position, i.e. hold the book up so he's upright, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the bow will fall in the right position and he might mm. just do a poo because he ha- you happen to catch it and therefore mm-hmm. it'll break the cycle of fear. So okay. it, there's a lot of information about this on the Melbourne mm. Children's Hospital website mm. okay. about yeah. this particular particular subject. So yeah. you could have a little read about that as well, but that's what they also suggest, and and we've tried it and it and it worked. So five okay. minutes a day. We're not talking about whether he does or he doesn't do something. We're just sitting there for five minutes a day reading a book. We uh-huh. used a bit of bribery and corruption, which is never a bad uh-huh. thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> but not one that went on for a long time, but a little bit of bribery and corruption, and we're going to okay. re we're going to reset his mm-hmm. mindset around it. So we're going to take all okay. the pressure off for a little bit. And then yeah. we're going to just bring it in without mentioning the word. We just happen to be sitting on the toilet twice a day to read uh, a really okay. fun book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cool. Yeah. Because we are we are talking about it a lot. Oh yeah. yeah. Sounds Stop like talking. To, yeah. Yeah. It's become too stressful. Let's just back off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's back it off. Back For it away. All of you. It must be awful for you too, Kate. So good yeah, luck. I'm over it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. I hope Thanks that so works. Much. Thanks, okay, Kate. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. There'll be more of Chris Minogue's awesome advice right after this. Being a parent is as awesome as it is exhausting. And the Parent Panel podcast covers every bit of it. Join me and two of Australia's favourite parents as we tackle the nitty-gritty. I grew up in a household where it wasn't like that at all. My parents always shielded fights and stuff for me, I think, from a sense of trying to protect us kids. To the hilarious. Little kids love things that are gross. Bottoms and doodles. The Parent Panel. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we have another question on the phone from Emily. She has a 20-month-old toddler who has a bit of strange behaviour at night. Emily, what's going on? <laughs> oh, hi, Siobhan and Chris. Hi. Um, I've actually seen you a few times, Chris, in the clinic. <laughs> All right. But um, anyway, so basically it's probably not strange. It's probably normal, but it's me that thinks it's strange. Yes. Um. So it probably started about a week ago now yeah. and it has happened um, before maybe like two months ago and I always feel like it always happens when my husband goes away <laughs> conveniently. <laughs> and anyway, I think it all stems from her being super overtired. Yep. Um, so usually she sleeps really well, um, like seven till seven type sleep overnight and her day sleeps, you know, maybe a little underwhelming at an hour, hour 15 at most. Um, But anyway. What what time did you say you put in the bed, um, Emily? um, Anywhere from 12 to 12.30, depending on the time she actually gets up. Okay. Yep. Um, Then what does she do? So what she does is she... We'll wake up extra early, maybe like 4.30, and then just refuse to go back to sleep. So on on those days, obviously, then I'm like trying to sort of start catch up. Mm. So then after a few days of those early random wake-ups, at night, she'll go to bed fine because she's exhausted, but then we'll wake maybe an hour later and literally just jump 
for a two-hour period. So she gets hyperactive? Yes. Yeah. So the hyperactivity is the overtiredness, the accumulative effect of overtiredness. Yeah. So then, (laughs) you know, I... Because I don't, I don't like to go in, so we just let her jump up and down and do her thing all night, yeah. essentially calling out. Yeah. But she's not that upset enough no. for me to go in. Yeah. Um, but it does make for everyone a bit grumpy anyway. <laughs> um, so then, but then you know, after a few nights of her doing that, I think she gets the the hint, like we're not yeah. coming in. Yeah. You know, go to sleep. But then during the day, she's probably. Like she doesn't like anybody leaving, and she's super clingy. Yeah, so then right. I don't know if she then gets a bit like I don't know, not scared, but like upset that someone's going to leave and like she's going to be by herself. Type okay. Thing. So what's happening is she gets into states of over being overtired when she goes into this, and then she's still overtired. Even if she slept well for one night, she's still overtired. So yeah. the ability to be dropped off to daycare and picked up and comings and goings such as daddy hasn't been there and come back that just is heightened when they're overtired so Uh I think one of the things is because she's only sleeping an hour to an hour and a quarter she's sort of a little bit overtired all the time so then when she goes into one of these stages where she's kept herself awake she's now really really overtired so on the days where she only sleeps for an hour to an hour and a quarter Try mm. this for the next couple of nights if you can. Put her to bed mm. earlier so she has more sleep, so she catches more sleep up. So put her to bed mm-hmm. by 6.30. Yeah. Okay? okay, so bring everything forward if you can on your non-working days. Bring yeah. everything forward so she's in bed at 6.30 because she catches mm. sleep up and they sleep better generally. So mm-hmm. you're doing the right things as in, you know, she's jumping in a bed having a good time and you're ignoring it. I think all of those things are right and I don't think you can change anything around that. But I think you can put it to bed earlier to Mm -hmm. give her more sleep so that overall she has more sleep and she's less overtired. Yeah, okay. And so just um, one more like sort of point is like so last night and the night before she usually will go to sleep initially absolutely fine. Yep. But those two nights, um, she literally, when we say, okay, you know, bedtime for Sienna, she literally just clung on like a little monkey around her neck going, mama, 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 mama. Yeah. And so, I'm just like, holy, holy, what so like, in, are you doing? Instead of saying and, bedtime for Sienna, maybe yeah. say story time for Sienna in the room so that we're doing more in the room so she's not hanging on because she knows she's going to go to bed. So maybe a couple of new story books for bedtime saying, look, I've got a new story be- story book. Let's go and sit in your room, have a little story in the room and then put her to bed. Then I think there's less anxiety about you going to put her into bed and then walk out. She's going to have a little bit more time with you in the room before you walk out. Yeah, and I guess like the last two nights, like my husband put her to bed last night, same deal. Yep. And he just said, oh, I'll rub your back. And she goes, okay, and lay down. Yeah, they always and do that And so the dads. then it's like, is it like... Just oh. ask Joel to be at home at 6.30 every night and that'll fix the whole thing. <laughs> but really I think she's just also aware of who's doing what for her. So I think if you read the stories, it's a bit like Joel rubbing her back. You know, yeah. so, yeah, yeah. So okay. I think she's got herself overtired and we've got to pull it back a little bit for her. 
we're going to play a little bit in her room or read the stories a little bit in her room before you put her down. And then mm. Joel will do his rub in the back trick on his nights. But mm-hmm. I think progressively she's getting herself more and more overtired. Yeah, so it's just purely overtired, nothing like it, it is, animal no, type of behaviour. No, it's, there's <laughs> all these mothers, Emily, going, oh, yeah, my baby does that too. So, <laughs> yeah, nothing so don't unusual. Worry. And good luck. And remember, you can call us back if you need some more help. <laughs> give Thank it a, Give you. it a shot for at least a couple of days and we'll be back on Friday next week if you need to talk to Chris again. Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks, Emily. Bye-bye. Our next question comes from Josie. My toddler is 33 months. We also have a three-month-old baby. Yep. My toddler has become quite rough with the baby at times, hitting and poking her in the face, smacking her chest, or having a very tight grip around her arms and legs. Oh, yes. She mostly does it out of enthusiasm Mm. or to get attention, but I Mm. don't know how to address it. I've tried different things, demonstrating gentle hands, giving a firm we don't hit. I've ignored it and just moved the baby away, etc. She seems to just smile and keep trying. <laughs> or if my voice is too firm, she will run away saying, I'm not talking to you, go away. Um, if I try to block or intercept her hand, hands, she plays the victims and says, Ow, don't touch my hand, you're hurting me. How do I get her to be more gentle? It's very hard to get a three-year-old to be gentle. And the behaviour she's exhibiting, I call loving them to death. So she she likes her baby sister, but she knows that baby sister takes up time. So I'm going to touch you because one, it gets a reaction, but then I squeeze you out of frustration. So in doing this, one, they, to all extent, some kids will do something when a new baby comes to them. The first thing I would do is... I think she realises that a little one gets lots of attention because they're three months old and they need a lot of attention and she doesn't know where she fits in to this big picture. I'd create a safe space to put the baby into for a little while so that she unlearns that squeezing, pinching, biting, poking, tapping gets a reaction from you. So maybe put your porticot up somewhere in the lounge room and give the baby a bit of time while you're all there in that porticot so she only visually sees you and the baby's playing over there. So not all the time. The baby shouldn't be put away at all. It's just little moments within the day that then you can have with the three-year-old that doesn't have the baby in the picture. So I'd do that for a few days because she's unlearning the behaviour. She's getting a little bit more time one-on-one with you but the baby's in the room. And then a few days later, I would do things like for a three-year-old, a nice big floor puzzle that they like doing and the baby's just beside you. So it's in the game, but it's just back here a little bit. And, but we're still focusing in on the puzzle. So what we're doing is sort of showing her that the baby can be in her space, but she can still have time with mummy. Cause I think that's what it sounds like. Telling her to use gentle hands, you'll do that for about another year and then she'll learn that she needs to use gentle hands, but then your baby will be one and a half and will probably bite her anyway. <laughs> um, so so that you're using all the right language, you're doing all the right things as in sometimes using a firm approach, sometimes using the gentle hands approach. But I think in the end, she's just looking for where everything fits in the family. So first we're going to teach her the baby's allowed in the space, but we need a safe space for the baby and that stops her from doing the behaviour and then we need to bring the baby back into the behaviour. 
uh, back into the play. So in the bouncer or on the floor, but we're doing a floor puzzle over here. And then the behaviour will slowly s- um, calm down and then disappear. I've got to say, um, Josie, that I definitely, my kids are older now, I definitely found this period you're talking about the most challenging yeah. in terms of parenting two small children. It's really hard. So yeah. I hope that helps. Yeah. Yeah, it's said. not easy. Yeah. If it helps at all, they grow up and then yep. they can fight with equal power. As I said, that baby <laughs> will grow up and trust me, it'll it'll give back as much as it it. I used received. to say that a lot to my daughter. I'd say one day he's going to grow up and be as big as you, so you should start being nice. Yeah. They still don't get it. Yeah, I was going to say, it didn't work. So don't take my advice. Take Chris's advice. I'll just tell you how I've failed miserably at all the, all of the above. Um, the next question we have is from Rhiannon, who's on the phone. Uh, she has a question about um, transitioning to one sleep and how to do it on daycare days with her 13-month-old. Hi, Rhiannon. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for all your advice that you've been um, giving. It's been um, an amazing help um, oh, with my little one. Excellent. Um, so I've listened to the podcast. Um, my little one's currently doing a 40-minute nap in the morning, an hour and 45 in the afternoon. Perfect. And I'm just currently waiting for the next where he shows me that where he's showing me that he needs a bit more um, transition and yep. do your, where you say, do the incidental sleep yep. in the morning in the pram or car. Yep. That's no issues. But at daycare, he does daycare three days a week. Sure. And he does a little bit different routine at daycare than obviously at home, sure. so I'm not sure how when we eventually get to that one sleep in how we do it in a month's time, how we do it because he's doing a big sleep in the morning, um, at daycare. which I'm okay, yeah, which I'm okay with because as long as he's going down independently and he's getting at least one decent sleep, he's doing I'm, well at daycare. Yeah, he, he yeah. did uh, 10:45 to 12:45 yesterday, and then had a quick little 20 minute sleep in the um, afternoon. afternoon. Which is which is all, all good, but when we get to that, yeah, when you get to yeah, so about how I do a daycare. Okay, so Rhiannon, about two weeks before you think you're going to transition. So what you need to do is transition on the four days before he goes yep. to daycare, so that he's well yep. into one sleep when he gets yep. to daycare. But in the two weeks before that, you need to ask them to start reducing that morning yep. sleep by a little bit. So if he's sleeping for an hour and a half on average, then ask them to give him an hour and then he'll just have two sleeps in the day, like he'll have two there. And then so one week you'll do an hour, the next week you'll do half an hour and he'll be very similar to where you're at. And then um, from there you will then um, transition him on your four days so that when he gets to the daycare day, he will just automatically move straight into the timeframes you've been using. Because he does daycare Tuesday, Thursday, Fridays. So would three days be enough if I did it over the weekend and Monday? Should be. Should be enough to do it. Yeah, should be enough to do it. I mean, he did did it one day. He slept one sleep one day at daycare because he just refused to have the second. Yeah, and we don't want him to do that. We don't want him to get three days where he's only having one and two days where he's doing two. He refused to actually go down for the morning nap and didn't sleep until yeah. 12 and then slept two and a half hours. Yeah, so I think I think if you can move him, get daycare to move him to more what you're doing, the transition yep. will seamlessly happen across that week. Okay, cool. So when I see the next change in yep. um, sleep movement, I'll yep. ask him to do it. That's right. Far from the, the yep. one sleep. That's right. Brilliant. Brilliant. Take All right, care. Rianne, and thank you for your Great. call. Thank you. Pleasure. Um, our next question comes from Trina, who says, How long should a nine and a half month old be awake during the day? 
Uh, a nine and a half month old is usually awake between three and three and a half hours. So they still have two sleeps. Um, usually the morning they go to bed a little bit quicker. So they might only do three hours and then the next two windows of awake period are closer to three and a half hours. So um, three and a half hour, three hours up and a one hour sleep, three and a half hours up and a two hour sleep, and then three and a half hours up and go to bed. That's very loosely what they do. I was going to say that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of nine months do that. Good luck if that uh, with that, Trina. The next question comes from Rafika, who has an almost four month old. This is about international travel. Perfect. I'll be flying with my baby on my own in March and have a few questions. Here's some information about the baby. He's almost four months and is breastfed. He yep. currently has a last feed between six thirty and eight thirty p.m. Yep. He sleeps through the night, minimum of eight hours. And most of the time wakes up between five and seven. Day naps are a bit more complicated. He used to self-settle, but now needs to be rocked to sleep in his bassinet and has recently started crying, fighting sleep as soon as I swaddle or put him to bed. Yeah. He's awake. His awake time is one, one hour, 15 minutes max before he gets overtired. He'll be five and a half months old when we leave. We're flying from Sydney to Paris at 6 a.m., they did want to get a night flight, but there were no options. Uh, daylight savings will also start 10 days after we arrive, arrive in France. So oh, I've broken... the reverse. Yeah. yeah. So I have um, taken the liberty, Rafika, sorry about this, but I've broken your questions down so that Chris can answer them in a Q&A style because yeah. they're were, they were a, um, a bit wordy, but we'll get there. Um, number one, what is the best way to manage this trip with the time difference? Okay. They're leaving at 6 a.m. So in this case, I would have to do a flight plan because I'd need to know because it's well, not. I've got, their, I've got their more details. Do you need them? Yeah, but I need the whole, I'd have to write the whole plan out. Oh, I see. So the reason for that, and I'm more than happy to write you a flight plan and send it back so I can get the yes. details and send it back to okay. you because you've sent such good information in. But the reason for that is to change the time on the flight, I need to know what flight you're on, when it's going to stop, and then I can write the flight plan where we absorb that change of timing across your flight. So okay. if you leave here at 6am, yes, I need to know things like, um, where do you live? How long does it take you to get to the airport? Because okay. we could be waking this baby up at 3.30 in the morning Ouch. I hope to, you're not. to get him to the plane. That's all right. Yeah. To get him to the plane at six, you might get into Paris at midday and then I need to then unwind him, yeah, Mm. unwind that day so that by seven o'clock at night, he's ready to go to sleep at seven o'clock at night. But I am more than happy to take the information and email it back to you, you know, over the weekend or something to give you a bit more information about that particular question. Brilliant, because we know we already have... Um, the details of your flight. Maybe if you could just send through um, where you live and the, the, the distance. distance from the air, uh, airport, airport, then we'll send that all on to Chris and she'll get and back I, to And you. I'll write you out a simple flight plan. Mm-hmm. But you say here about comforters. Yes. Um, I think the biggest issue is to fit them in the bassinet on a plane. You need to just slightly swaddle his arms down because otherwise he hits the side and he wakes himself up thousands of times. So uh, having an actual comforter won't help keep him calm or will it? No. Is it an option? Not doesn't really. Age. Okay. So if he's got want... a dummy, we put it on a dummy chain so it doesn't drop on the floor. 
The next one we can answer about ear, ear pain. Very rarely will they have ear, play, ear pain unless they already had um, a, some sort of infection brewing because the flights are big planes. Uh, the air pressure cabin in the cabin is neutralised to sea level, so they don't have to suck on takeoff or landing, but it does keep them still. Oh, More than anything. All right. Not climbing out over you. The last one is um, how can uh, Rafika prevent milk supply issues while traveling and because of jet lag? Uh, You need to drink water every three hours. So if you drink water every three hours generally, you'll have enough supply to go. Because remember, both you and he are dehydrating on this big long flight. So we're just going to keep your fluid up. So I usually say about every three hours you have a drink, you'll be fine. Okay. Well, Rafika, we'll get to your um, first question. Well, rather, Chris will, and we'll get that back to you. Um, Our final question, we don't have time for more, unfortunately, is from Ellie. She's got lots of detail here, so everyone just bear with me. It's definitely going to help Chris answer the question. (laughs) I've got a 13, almost 14-month-old baby who goes between one and two day sleeps, depending on when she wakes up in the morning and how long her first nap is for. She's going down to sleep around 7 p.m., waking at least once in the night to be re settled sometimes this is a quick dummy fix other times it's a two-hour battle slash party yep and waking anywhere between five and six a.m most mornings although mostly closer to five i can count on one hand the number of nights she slept through in her life she's always needed a resettle we weaned all night feeds by 12 and a half months she's in the 97th percentile for height and weight her day sleeps vary. She's just started kindy two weeks ago, so they're varied more yeah. now, and she goes three consecutive days a week. I try to keep her awake for five hours, any less, and she'll do a cat nap, and the day is messy anymore, and she falls asleep in the pram walking back from the shops or the park. On a normal day, she'll do one and a half hours in the morning, and I try for a second nap four to four and a half hours after she woke in the morning. The cot never works, so I either drive the highway or put her in the pram for her second 30 to 40 minute nap. Transitioning her to one nap seems to exhaust her and wake her up early. She's only 13 months at this stage. Um, I've tried literally everything to get her to sleep till 6.37 consistently and I'm just getting nowhere. I've tried catnapping her day sleep. I'm sorry, I've tried capping her day sleep, waking her awake keeping her awake longer, shorter, putting her down early, shortening her second nap to 15 minutes, etc. At the moment, she does about one to one and a half to two hours, one and a half to two hours day sleep and 10 to 10 and a half night 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 sleep. sleep. I spent 40 minutes this morning keeping her calm and quiet. She won't go back to sleep in her cot because she woke at 5.20 a.m. We have been to QE2, so use their sleep settling methods and she responds well to those. My question is, what can I do to encourage a later morning wake? Any other advice you have would be lovely. Okay. Thanks for all the advice. That certainly helps. Um, But the thing that I take away from here is that she might be in a car, she might be in a pram, in the day sleeps before she hits the cot at night. So when she wakes up overnight, she hasn't had enough experiences of going down in the cot to understand that that's where she's going to go back to. Okay, so that's one part of this. And the other part of this is she's coming very close to 14 months and needing to drop to one sleep to fix the party animal in her at night. So the easiest way to fix the party animal is to drop to one sleep. The difficulty is we can't get her to one sleep because she doesn't sleep enough in the day 
as in enough like two and a half hours in one go. And also her sleeps in the day, if I've got it right, could be in a pram or a car as opposed to a cot. So it gets very confusing because when she goes to daycare, it's definitely in a cot. So what we need to do is when she hits 14 months is to spend a couple of days trying to get her into one sleep where she goes down in her cot the same way she goes down in the cot during the evening when you put her to bed and mimicking the way that they put her down at daycare in a cot, okay? Because then you'll get consistency and when you get consistency, she'll sleep better and when she sleeps better, you'll get long engagement of the night's sleep. So you will get long engagement of the night's sleep when you put her on one sleep, but if she's not sleeping well enough in that one sleep, like two to two and a half hours, she'll be so overtired, that's what will be undoing the night's sleep. So it's a little bit complicated in that she gets a few different messages about where she's sleeping. So the first thing I do is if you can get her down in the evening, I'd start getting her down in the day in the cot, mirroring what they do at daycare, because obviously they can get her down in the cot and they probably pat her. And then move it to one sleep and that should help the long engagement and the consistency of her night's sleep. So I hope that was enough information to get you started on the process of bringing her into one sleep and getting her to sleep much better for you at night. Good luck, Ellie. And thank you to everyone who's um, written their questions in or pop them down on Facebook. That is all we have time for on Helpline and, and this episode of Feed, Play, Love. Chris, thank you so much for coming in. Always a pleasure. If you've been listening to us via podcast but would like to ask Chris your questions live, you can join us every Friday at 11.30 Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on the Babyology Facebook page. Just search for Babyology on Facebook and we'll be there. You can write your questions in the comments section or call in on our Helpline hotline. That's one 800 543 Next time on Feed, Play, Love, we're talking to lactation consultant Pinky McKay about trusting your mama instinct. And often mothers will feel, you know, they're more loving towards their baby than their partner, but that's because of this hormonal response. It doesn't mean she's fallen out of love with her partner. But Pinky says it's our instinct we need to trust. That's on the next episode of Feed, Play, Love. This podcast is produced by Elise Cooper and hosted by me, Siobhan Hunt.